Are you looking for a school that'll give you the art time you need and skills to succeed out in the workforce? Look no further than our friends over at Arc Labs. With four locations spread across South Carolina and one out in Houston, you have plenty of options on where to attend. With over 200 years combined experience, their instructors have the knowledge and field experience to get you out on the job of your dreams. Learn from professionals from the pipe, structural, pharmaceutical, shipbuilding, and construction industries who will teach you how to not only pass a test, but excel out in your job. Speaking of jobs, they also work with you on job placement, offering guidance on industries and prepping you for whatever you will encounter, not only on their weld tests, but also out in the field. And they even started a new internship program where you can get real-world experience that can turn into your next job. Their students have gone on to land jobs with companies like Lockheed Martin, Euler Tube Company of America, Arc Energy, Crowder, and many more. If you are ready to jump into a career that'll always be in demand and want the best training around, head over to arclabs.edu to find out more information today. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. I'm Bo Wiggington. In this week's episode, I got to chat with Dave Taylor, also known as TM Designs 39. He's a metal artist based out of Manchester, England, and he tells what it's like being a one-man operation in the art world overseas. He talks about using scrap metal and reclaimed parts and being creative to give them a new life. He also talks about keeping everything in-house to keep costs down, building your own tools instead of paying for expensive ones, and how you have to be happy with your work at the end of the day instead of trying to rush jobs out. Looking to unleash your inner craftsman? Look no further than Outlaw Leather USA, where they specialize in crafting custom-made leather welding gear that offers maximum protection from heat and sparks. With their product's superior quality, construction, and durability, you can count on them to stand up to any job. And with their outstanding customer service and dedication to providing you with the best possible experience, you can trust that you're investing in the quality you deserve. As a special bonus for listening to the podcast, you can get 10% off your order by using the special promo code WELD10 at checkout. Invest in quality with Outlaw Leather USA today. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience, just in case they're not familiar with you and your work? Yep. So my name's Dave Taylor. I'm from Bury, Manchester, England. I'm a self-employed welder fabricator artist. My Instagram name is tmdesigns39. So how did you first get into welding? Was this something you've been doing your whole life or was this something you picked up later in life? It pretty much started at a young age. I was always interested in how things worked. I was always interested in working with my hands, tools, taking things apart, seeing how they worked from the age of six. <laughs> so I've always been a tinkerer, if you know what I mean. So it's, I've always worked with my hands. I've always played around with making things and stuff like that. Did you go to school for welding? Because I know in the UK, things are a little bit different than they are over here in America when it comes to welding. Like, did you have to go get a certificate or like certification or you just roll? Yeah, no, I pretty much just self-taught. I mean, obviously the guys on Instagram are a big help. Andy Miracle Man, he was 
kind of like the go-to guy for me because he lived locally to me. So he was a big inspiration on just showing me the basics of TIG welding, especially. I've always had a bit of a, a knack when it comes to MIG welding. That mm-hmm. seemed to, I mean, I know it's the easiest. Everybody always talks down about MIG welding, but I love MIG welding. Like you, I use it so much because it's quick, easy, and it gets the job done. And yeah. every, everybody yeah. who talks down about it, I'm like, why does everyone talk down about it? We all use it more than anything else. Let's be real. Yeah, I, I think it's more, more the TIG welders seem yeah. to frown on the MIG welders. But it, I mean, like you say, it's quick, it's easy, it gets the job done. Not everything needs to have rainbows and look pretty. It's just sometimes it's just a case of get it done, get it out, mm-hmm. and then on to the next one. But yeah, I mean, I still use MIG. It just depends on, like I say, it, they all have the the, the uses. Mm-hmm. Like some things you might want to just get like a little nice tack on it, and you don't want to have to mess about grinding it or cleaning it up. But TIG welding that comes in perfect for that sort of stuff. But yeah, everything's got its purpose. Exactly. You just got to use, I like being able to use all the different processes. I like when most people, like most schools out here, you'll learn all three, like you'll learn TIG, stick and MIG, even flux core, you know, and I think it's really important to be able to use them all because they come in handy in different situations, but. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Will you? But yeah, I love it as well. I love doing MIG, stick and TIG. I like to use stick on like natural artworks or if I'm creating like a log or something that's wood effect sticks perfect. It gives it a lovely finish and a texture. I never thought about it. That is a great idea for getting. Yeah. I've done a few logs and what's it called? Stormbreaker, you know, the off the Thor movies, mm. the snapper axe. So I use stick on the handle for that, but it just gives it a wooden texture. That's the thing about when it get you get into the art world of welding, even the idea of like, oh, the puddles of this are like the beads are going to be more of this type of grain structure, so to say, you know, like wood grain yeah. structure. But that's really cool. I never even thought about that. But now I'm like, well, I got to go see what kind of things I can make look like wood now. Yeah, exactly. Give it a go. I mean, it's not, that's the best thing about all the different processes of welding, especially from an artist point of view. I mean, from a fabricator's point of view, they've all got a job to do and they've all got to look pretty and they've all got, like, a purpose to serve. But when you're an artist, it's more about textures and the feel of something and it not, it's not necessarily structural. So mm-hmm. it's sometimes the messier, the better, depending on what you're making. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Speaking of textures and stuff, so on your work, there's a lot of different materials you work in that are kind of repurposed. I saw like your X-Wings that were made out of spark plugs and then use yeah. a lot of like bullet shells. Like, can you tell yeah. a little bit about how you see, like, how do you see that? How does that spark in your mind? What for, do you mean for the X-Wings? and? Well, just using materials like that, is it just you just have that laying around? Is that something someone says, I want this type of thing, or do yeah. you just see it? Yeah, I mean, pretty much with things like that, I've got a, a big scrap bucket, basically, and it's just full of all sorts of weird and wonderful things. And it's just a, it's just a looking at something and looking at the shape of it and thinking, right, what else could that be? Like a, Like a gear or a sprocket or spar plug or something like that you're not looking at it as a spar plug you're looking at it as the shape so what does that shape look like what could it be 
that's the biggest thing. And a lot of it is just emptying out your scrapbook and staring at what you've got mm-hmm. and then just waiting for, right, that's what it's going to be. And it'll just click. It's, I mean, a lot of people struggle with seeing the end result of something that they're making. But I don't know. I think I've got a bit of a knack when it comes to seeing the finished product before I've even started it. So I know where I want to go with it. And then I just, yeah, it just flows. I don't try and force it. It just happens. <laughs> yeah, just got to let it happen. I've always said that. I've always said when you're building something, you're creating something. You've got to let it create itself, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense to me. I've got a tattoo on my arm that says, let the words write themselves, because I've been a songwriter my whole life. And when you try to force something out, you usually don't get the results you want. But if you just kind of yeah. let it evolve and give it the time it needs, then you're usually yeah. pretty happy at the end. Yeah, yeah, 100%, definitely. Yeah, just let it happen. Don't try and force it. How about for it? Because I saw it was the Iron Giant. You did one of those. Like yeah. that type of stuff. Is that something you're making a plan for? Or is that just kind of like getting a structure and then seeing how you can fill it out? When I did the Iron Giant, that was basically I had it. I went on to Google and I basically typed in Iron Giant blueprints and it kind of brought me up loads of pictures of, of the Iron Giant. So I just, I basically got one from the front, the side, the back, and then I had them blew up to the size that I wanted. So I, he was six foot tall. He was a big guy and then pretty much just broke it down into individual parts, measured it all, designed it all on the extreme plasma CNC table, cut it out on the table and then just welded it together I was on a very tight time frame with that build i had six weeks to do it from scratch dang what was it for was it for like a client or was it for like a show yeah it was for a show at the nec in birmingham in mm. england which is quite a big event and it was basically to show off what the cnc table could do it's not just necessarily like wall arts or easily things so it's more just showing what the machine's capable of doing. So that was the idea behind it. And do you have the, is the CNC there at your shop? Yeah, I have that all in-house. That's huge. I've talked to quite a few different people where there's like, hey, I got a CNC machine and my whole world changed. Do you do work for other people as well? Like do cuts for people? Yeah, I do commission work for other companies if they want things cut out and mass production stuff. But it helped me because I was doing everything by hand. I was hand plasmering everything. When you're trying to do things over and over again repetitively, it's hard doing it freehand. Yeah. So it, it came to the time where I was like, I need to invest. Yeah. So contacted Rob from Extreme Plasma. He hooked me up with the table and we've got a really good re- relationship between us both. I work for him doing shows, promoting stuff. And it has changed my life. It's made it so much easier. Yeah. But it's opened many more doors as well. It's not just the easy things I can do now. It's, I can do anything on that table. Is it just you that works on all this stuff? Like, is it a one-man operation you run out there? Yeah, it's just me. I deal with all the customers, design everything, powder coat everything myself. Everything. Oh, dang. You do the powder coating too? Yeah. If I'm making something, especially in mild steel, I'll clean it up as best I can. I'll powder coat it, clear lacquer, just... So it lasts, basically. Mm-hmm. So it's protected against rain and whatever. So I want it to last forever. Whatever yeah. I make, I want it to be here forever. Well, that's why you make it out of metal, right? <laughs> that's it. That's it. 
that's it. That's why I put so much time and effort into everything I make as well, because I want it in a way that's my legacy. When I'm gone, mm-hmm. they'll still be. Do you well, know what I mean? What's your like average turnaround times? Like when you're yeah. like managing client expectations, like what kind of turnarounds do you give people? Yeah, it all depends. I mean, if it's something simple that I can do in a day or two days, I'll just get it done for them. But then when I've got bigger builds, I'll just say it's gonna be. It'll be finished when it's finished. I don't <laughs> rush it, and, and people know that. I don't try and I don't give them a time scale because I'm self-employed. I still need to make a living, mm-hmm. so I can't work for three months on something without having any money coming in. Yeah. So I'll stop and start it. How do you go about gaining a client base? Has it been like word of mouth? Has it been just going to different events? Like how have you built up your client base? It all basically I'm fairly new to Instagram. I've only been on Instagram for three, four years. Facebook is my main selling platform. And I've got fifteen thousand followers or something on Facebook. Yeah. And I've got customers that just come back time and time again. They've got one guy that he must have over sixty. Dang. Of my pieces in his house, he loves it. Whatever it is, he'll buy it. That's awesome. How do you go about pricing these things out for people? Like, is it just more of like you're calculating your time, material? How do you go about pricing your artwork? Yeah, it's pretty much time based. To be fair, I'm probably a lot cheaper than what I should be. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's, if it's something that I want to make, I'll do it cheaper just because I want to make it. And it's something cool. But yeah, it's pretty much just time-based. Materials do come into it, but it's not much for materials. A lot of it's just time. And do you use a lot of reclaimed material, or do you just kind of use that for accents? On the artwork stuff, it depends what I'm doing. If it's more like the Iron Giant, everything on that was brand new. Mm-hmm. So it was new steel. If I'm doing like the Donker piston car builds that I've done so it's a collaboration between me and Donker so he carves the piston head sends it to me and then I'll turn it into like a Mad Max car or a tank or whatever and then I'll try and repurpose stuff so like bullet casings and chains and gears and things like that. How do you source those materials? Is that going to a scrapyard or just stuff you have? It's just stuff that I've accumulated. I mean, it's a lot of it's stuff that I've had for years. And then I have friends of mine that are fabricators or people that dismantle things. And they'll give me all their bits of scrap that they wouldn't have a clue what to do with. So they'll pass it to me. And then I might have it for five, ten years before I do something with it. But it'll get used eventually. That's, on that's awesome. Man. How do you keep track of it? Do you have a certain cataloging index that you do, or is it just all in one bin? We dump it out on the floor and see what we have to work with. Yeah, it's all in one bin, pretty much. <laughs> I'm not that organized. <laughs> Usually, like creative people are not organized. I know me. No. I, I love chaos. Like my work areas are always chaotic. My wife, she is very organized and she's just like i don't understand how you could do this but you know where everything is though don't you i do i do even though it's a mess you know where everything is and yeah i'm exactly the same i don't when i'm finished for the day i don't spend an hour tidying up i just shut the door deal with it all the next day and it's always a mess but (laughs) like you say that's the way people work sometimes yeah controlled chaos is what i call it yeah definitely definitely what are your work days looking like? Because a lot of people, 
that get into the welding industry, they'll go into manufacturing, pipe welding, structural stuff. And like those are like 10-hour days a lot of the times. As an artist, what does your work schedule look like? Because you are self-employed. Yeah, it. I mean, it depends on if it's, if it's something that's interesting me and it's something that I'm, I can't sleep at night because I'm thinking about building something. When it comes to creating something like that, then I'll work from eight o'clock in the morning till six, seven o'clock at night sometimes. But if it's just like the normal working day, it's not nine till five normally. That's nice. That's nice. Because so, I know a lot of times like working for yourself, you can fall into a couple different boats. Either you just don't work that much and just kind of do it when it's necessity. And then there's people that it's like they can't stop working. Yeah. So, yeah. Finding that balance is pretty pretty hard. Yeah. I mean, it was a case a couple of years ago where I was working seven days a week constantly just because I'm so passionate about what I do. I just wanted to be in there creating, learning all the time. But then I kind of had to tell myself, you need at least one day off, one day where you can just recharge. So that's now Sunday is my day off. That's nice. And I'll, we'll go for an adventure somewhere for a walk with the dog and try and relax a bit i hope you're enjoying the episode so far we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors are you looking for a machine that has the versatility to handle mig tig and stick as well as being able to run off of various power sources at the same time look no further than the lincoln electric 210 mp this was the first machine i picked up when i started my journey into welding and it has never let me down Light enough to carry into anywhere I might need to take it with the ability to plug right into the wall when 220 isn't available. It has helped me build, repair, and create in all kinds of environments. There are all kinds of machines out there on the market, but from my personal experience, putting countless hours on this one, it's the first one I recommend to people looking for their first multi-process welding machine. Find out more over at LincolnElectric.com. Are you shipping this stuff mainly, or is this like local pickups? Where's your client base mainly at? It's everywhere, to be honest. Worldwide. Ships up abroad, yeah, worldwide. A lot of it's in the UK. But it's the stuff that I've made that's gone literally China, Australia, Hawaii, everywhere. When it comes to shipping, I know that's something a lot of people don't think about when they get into the art yep. world and wanting to like ship stuff around. Like, have you run into like any like custom things, like any issues with customs, or like what what has your shipping situation been like? Yeah, I've never really had any problems. To be fair, when it comes to shipping, everything I make is always subject to shipping costs, and you never know how much it's going to cost until it's finished. And then you can see how big it is, how heavy it is. And that all determines the cost of shipping stuff abroad. But I always, I never go for the cheapest option when it comes to shipping. I always go, I always use UPS. So there's <laughs> a shout out for UPS. Shout uh, out to the UPS workers out there. Yeah. yeah. So they're, um, they're not the cheapest, but I've never had a problem with them. They're not out there just throwing your boxes out onto someone's doorstep. <laughs> exactly exactly and when it's when someone spent a lot of money on something and it's traveling halfway around the world you want it to get there safely yeah 
Have you done any art shows or have you been part of festivals, expos, anything like that's helped you out with gaining notoriety? The only show that I've done is at the, the NEC and they are classic car shows. So it's not necessarily for artists. It's for mainly just for, sh- it's for the CNC tables, basically. So I've not promoted myself in any shows. I've just been at shows with my artwork. It has helped. I've met a few famous people through it. I wouldn't say that I've gained any extra customers off it, yeah. but the awareness, it's helped with that. Do you do any advertising on Facebook, Google? Do you use any advertising to draw people to your business, or are you just rocking that word of mouth still? Yeah, I'm rocking the word of mouth, yeah. I pretty much just rely <laughs> on, on my followers. I don't try and push any sales whatsoever on my Facebook page. I'll just post something that I've made. If people want it, they can... DM me, they can go on my website, check stuff out on there. But I don't try and force sales on anything. I don't do paid adverts, things like that. I just let it flow. Because <laughs> that's another really big thing. Like a lot of people, most trades, you want to advertise yourself. But when you're like a single owner operator, the only one working, sometimes advertising can kind of bite you in the butt. So it's because like yeah. you get too many people asking you for work. You spent money on acquiring these new leads and then you can't even follow up. It's like, I'm too busy to even talk to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's kind of the position I didn't want to be in. I didn't start doing this to be swamped with work and having time scales where I needed to get things out. I like to just build one thing at a time put 100% effort into that thing that I'm making at that time and just do it like that. It's probably not the business mind. It's probably not the best way of doing it. You know, I'm never going to be a millionaire. But you're happy. That's the thing. But money doesn't buy you happiness. Doing what I do gives me a lot of pleasure, a lot of joy. And as long as I've got food on the table, the bills are paid, I'm a happy man. That's awesome. That's the way I look at because I've always been in the creative world. And like as a musician... There's a very slim chance you're going to be a multimillionaire. It's not why I'm there. I love traveling. I love playing music. I love meeting new people, having weird experiences that no one's ever going to experience. And yeah, a lot of podcasts. <laughs> yeah, like a podcast. Like this, I, the whole way I got connected with Weld.com in the first place was went to welding school. They had a, a welding competition, like a virtual welding competition. And my professor at the time, or like my instructor at the welding school, he's like, yeah, you know, they're probably not going to pick you. I was like, I'm going to prove you wrong. And so then I got picked and he was like, yeah, well, probably not going to win. There's probably going to be a lot of really good people. And I got second place and I, and and he was like, wow, that's pretty crazy. And then I started working for weld.com and I was like, that's what you get, man. Don't you ever doubt me. I'm a crazy person. People like that can push you to do things that, you know, that are out of your comfort zone. And I think that's a big thing when it comes to welding and creating something. A lot of people are so nervous that they're going to mess it or they don't want to start it or they don't want to be in the, in on video like this. Or sometimes you've just got to be out of your comfort zone and just do it. What's the worst thing that can happen? Yeah, that's, you, know? you got a grinder for a reason when you're welding. If you mess <laughs> it up, you can just cut it out yeah. and do it again. That's it, yeah. You can always add on bits. But yeah, it's, don't be scared of just trying stuff. You've just got to do it. That's how we all learn. You've got to just do it. Yeah. 
Well, speaking of doing it, what have been your favorite pieces you've made throughout your whole career so far? Favorite pieces? It's probably the Iron Giant. Iron Giant's up there just because he's massive. Wally, the robot Wally. That was really that, cool. That was just so cool to make that. But that, again, was for the NEC show made on the table. But, yeah, that, that's, that was something I've always wanted to build. I've dreamt about building a life-size realistic Wally for years and years. And the opportunity came where Rob said, do it, make it. Yeah, and I loved it. I loved every second of making it. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, so, yeah, that one. And then I did a, I did a Jaws-themed coffee table. So it had the orca on it, the boat, and it had this, this shark. Bruce was, like, biting at the back of the boat. I gotta see that one, man. I didn't even see that. Yeah, that's like back in the day. That's before CNC days and everything. That was all handmade. But yeah, that was that was a cool build. I saw that dragon egg. Did you build it from the top down? I'm guessing, like when yeah. you put all those scales on. Because I was just like, I was racking my brain looking. And I was like, how did he do that? And then I was like, oh, he probably went to the bottom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like I build an inner egg first. So. Start with sheet metal. I do four individual sides, shape them, weld them four sides together to give you the inner framework to work off. And then I'll just pretty much start from the top, start with three or four scales, I think, on the top. And then it's just a case of slowly but surely working your way down to the bottom. They're very time-consuming. Yeah, yeah. They look cool. Though. Are you, like, hand-pounding them out to, like, shape the scales too? Yeah, well, I've, I actually made a press to to give the scale of the concave look because I was doing it by hand originally on a bag, hammering them out, taking forever. <laughs> so I, I made this hand press so I can just literally just put them in, stamp them in, give you the shape. Well, speaking of making tools, like because I saw you made a break too, like a hand break or like a vice break. I saw something. There was a something you made for your vice. Was that what? Oh, it... the, yeah, that was that was the jaws, I think, weren't it? The aluminium jaws, I mean. No, it was. Let me pull it up because I just saw it and I was like, yeah. Because I'm all about people making tools to make jobs easier. And I saw this one on your page. Made a vice mounted sheet metal bender. Bends oh, three yeah, millimeter. Yeah. yeah, that's. Yeah, so that was made for a customer, basically. He works on doing rally cars things like that. He wanted something that he could just put in his vice, bend a bit of sheet metal to what he wanted it for making his cars. So that's what that was for. That's something I want to get. I need a break. Like I need a sheet metal break. And they're so expensive. And I've watched a bunch of different videos of people making ones. And I'm like, that's one I want to make. And I saw you had one. I was like, yeah, I got to ask about making tools for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, making a press break is for doing just... 90 degree bends or whatever it's pretty simple to make one it's not rocket science that like say for the money that they charge to buy one yeah and they're probably no good to be fair they're probably cheap rubbish that'll only bend one mil but i mean you've seen in that video mine did three mil yeah so it's they're not hard to make i'm all, I'm always up for making tools make your life easier rather than buy it if you've got the stuff make it yeah that's great advice because a lot of people, they focus on like a lot of new business owners. They'll take out a bunch of debt and they'll go and buy a bunch of equipment and then try to work all that off instead of just like work with what you got. And if you don't have it, try and make it. 
Like, because that's what you do. You're, you work with metal. Might as well make things out of metal to make your life easier. Oh, yeah, definitely. 100%. I mean, I made my own powder coating oven. It's made from an old filing cabinet. So it's basically split in half. So the top half is a spray booth with the filters and everything. And then the bottom half is all insulated. And that's the oven. And it works perfect. And to buy one, you might be looking at five, six grand. Yeah. It costs me, with the actual Eastwood spray gun, probably cost me about 600 quid. Dang. Do you have pictures of that? I'd need to check that out. That sounds like a sweet I'll, setup. I'll send you a picture of it. It works really well, honestly. And it's what I was doing, I was making stuff, sending it out to the powder coaters. They obviously charge me for powder coating something. So I don't know. If it's something small, they might charge you £5 or £10. And I thought, why, why not just make something that I can do it myself and I can save myself that money? I saved myself the time from traveling to dropping it off, picking it up, waiting for it to be done. That's every everything. I try and keep everything in-house. Smart. That's the way to maximize. Like, yeah. you don't have to work quite as hard to make... You don't have to take on those extra projects that are going to just make you be in a time crunch. Like, it offers you up yeah. more Yeah, time. exactly. Yeah. I can literally cut something out on the table, clean it, powder coat it, and ship it within two hours if it's only something small you know it's gone because it's not powder coat's not like paint you don't have to wait for a week for it to dry and harden and because if you send stuff painted it's sometimes it can get damaged if it's still not dry properly but with powder coat you don't have that issue as soon as it's cooled down you can do what you want with it well for people that aren't sure i mean everybody knows about powder coating it's like everyone knows yeah send it off to powder coat because it's nice and strong can you tell yeah. people a little bit about the process of actually powder coating something so when it comes to powder coating the cleaner the material the better everything i make goes through sandblasting first and then it gets wiped with thinners or acetone or a degreaser normally if it's something that's got quite a lot of shapes in it i'll put it in the oven to pre-bake and then i'll give it a hot coat. So basically the material's hot when I spray it on, but it automatically wants to stick in them little nooks and crannies. Whereas if you try and do it cold, sometimes you get what's called a Faraday cage effect. And that's basically a negative area where the negative particles of the powder coat don't want to stick. It's a weird thing, but it's if when you do it hot, you don't have that issue. <laughs> that's good now. But yeah, norm normally it's just pretty much just sandblast it wipe it spray it with your powder coat bake it for 10 minutes at 180 degrees and then yeah it's done easy peasy easy peasy it's, it is easy peasy see and there's a lot of like even sandblasting do you have your own sandblasting set up there yeah, too yeah i've got my own sandblasting cabinet yeah it's only a small one but it's big enough for what i need because those are things that a lot of people outsource, the sandblasting yeah. included, because that could be very messy, it could be very time-consuming, and it could take up a lot of space depending on the size of the setup. But that's cool yeah. that you could do it all in-house. Yeah, every, everything everything's in-house. Like I say, CNC tables in there, powder coatings in there, sandblasting, all my welding equipment, everything. And it's not a big workshop. It's not massive. It's only... 27 foot by 12 foot. That's like the size of mine. I got a 16 by 25, and it's plenty of room for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
that's it. I mean, I've got, like I say, I've got all that. I've got two welding benches in there. I've got cupboards everywhere. and It's perfect. It's not big enough, to be fair. I would like something bigger, but it doesn't cost me anything. I don't have, to, I don't have any overheads when it comes to renting a unit, things like that. It's in my back garden. That's awesome. I like having my shop. I run into the same thing. Like sometimes I'll try, like I'll be asked to make, I do a lot of like bar and restaurant work. So I'll make like bar bases or railings for people. And sometimes they're a little bit too big to get in and out. So I'll have to like build them in place instead, but, or just get really creative of how I'm going to make it happen. But (laughs) yeah, that's it. I mean, you just have to make it work. Yeah. With what space you have, I mean, when I did the Iron Giant, that was like no space whatsoever in there when I was working on that because he was just so big. Yeah, you just have to make it work. You have to work with what space you've got, what tools you've got, and just make the best that you can do. Well, something I try to ask every guest that comes on the podcast, now that we're talking about advice, what would be some of your biggest advice you could give to new welders or people that are in the industry trying to get to that next level? As an artist, you mean, or as a, just a welder? I would say let's focus on art because you're in the art world. Because I, I talk to people in all different types, but like people that want to get into the art world, like what would be some of your biggest advice of getting into the art world and learning how to find your voice? I would say. Yes, my advice would be, don't force it. Let it happen. If you're trying to be, I mean, art's so big. Everyone's got their own thoughts on what art is and everyone's different tastes but my me personally i like to build things to scale as it should be as near to the real thing as possible and just take your time and if you make a mistake don't kick yourself over it you can like you say you can cut it off start again and that's the that if you're not happy with it then change it if there's something in your mind or in your body that you think I'm not quite happy with that. Don't settle, change it. And you'll be, once you're happy with it, you'll know it in your own body. Yeah. Just trust your gut. Trust your gut. Trust, yeah. Trust your gut. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, I mean, there's some, don't get me wrong, there's some really good artists on Instagram, some amazing. And then there's some of the new guys that are coming out and I see it all the time. They're trying to push new stuff, building things different every day. But it's not the best, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. It's they're kind of doing it just for likes and comments and shares. Don't do it for that. Do it for yourself. Just be take your time with stuff and just it's some something that's gonna be around forever. So put a lot of effort into what you do. Don't rush it. Yeah, you don't wanna be like a thousand years down the road they uncover this piece and they're just like well it looks like they rushed this <laughs> yeah exactly yeah just take your time and especially if it's your hobby and you've got all the time in the world to be messing about there's no rush for things is there but as long as you're happy as long as you're happy then you know crack on yeah there was i worked for a guy in a fab shop like when i was going through school and his main mantra was good enough for my house and like I would tell people that and they're just like it would make them really mad because it was just like ah it's good enough and it always made me kind of mad because I'm like no like like let's just like take the time to make it right it's like yeah and so that's something I always just whenever I want to make someone mad I'm just like yep good enough for my house and there was like 
No, yeah. don't say that. Yeah, that's the other <laughs> thing. If people are saying it's good enough, then they're not happy with it. It needs to be, it needs to be as near as perfect for the stuff I do. But like I say, all art's different. Some people might want it a little bit rugged and it's all different. Everyone's got their own ideas of what art is. Yeah, so it's just a case of being happy in what you do, really. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. If you have a topic you want me to cover or want to be a guest on the show, let me know by reaching out on the Weld app. You can find me at Bowdidit or just shoot me an email at boww at weld.com. Speaking of the Weld app, if you haven't downloaded it yet, you're missing out on some cool new features we've added, like our job board where you can find work, our marketplace where you can sell your work, or our new calculator that helps you dial in your settings when doing work. Until next week, we'll see you out there.